Oh God, have mercy on this poor, unfortunate creature. In old Gothic Europe, they had two burning passions, witch hunting and devil worship. Practice the black arts, they worship the devil. They're all slaves to Count Karnstein, and he is their evil master. Do you know what I want more than anything else? To meet Count Karnstein. <gasps> they look alike. They dress alike. Two identical beauties. But one of them has the very devil in her. For you, all pleasures should be supreme. These are the men they call the Brotherhood. Seek out the devil worshippers by burning them! And this is the sister who is about to enter the devilhood. Look, what do you see? <gasps> we are the undead, immortal. The devil has sent me. Twins of evil. Welcome back to the Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett, and joining me again this evening is a multiple-time guest, uh, someone who cannot learn his lesson, keeps coming back, Mark Maddox. (laughs) I just love the pain. (laughs) Like the movie that that we're dealing with, the sadism, I just have to have it. Well, this this movie movie has the sadism in spades, I'll I'll, I'll admit. This is is one that... uh, you know, you, we've been we've been having this ongoing hammer conversation over the past uh, three or so episodes that we've done together, and uh, you're you're you're, com- you're you're returning again and again to the theme of them coming back and kind of gathering steam with the the kind of cruelty or sadism of uh, their stories. Man, this one right. this one is where they're really they're cranking it up pretty good. Yeah, it's the R-rated era of uh, of Hammer films. By the way, I do want to say something officially so that anybody that likes having me on your show can yell at you later. <laughs> and that is, you don't just have to bring me on for Hammer films. There's a lot of other things I'd like to talk about. So just write that down someplace on a little Post-it note and stick it next to your monitor. Maddox will talk about other things. But right. having said that, I have enjoyed the films that we've talked about. We talked about um, X the Unknown, and we talked about um, the mummies, uh, the Mummy Shroud. Yep. And I enjoyed both of those, but those were uh, very early to somewhat early or mid-level Hammer films. We are now in the the uh, twilight of the original Hammer. Yep. And this film is is um, has got the sadism. It's got the the all the stuff that everybody was horrified and afraid of that they were doing back in the fifties and sixties, they're actually now doing <laughs> in films. 
And we know that what this is a, a you know a, the third part of a three part film series that they did. I didn't know if they were going to do more, if it was successful or whatever. But they did. Well, there was a, from did. what I've read, uh, Tudor Gates, the guy who wrote the scripts for all three of them. Uh, there was an idea they were talking about uh, possibly doing a fourth one, but it kind of fell apart um, before they even got the script written. Uh, he was huh. uh, yeah with the uh, the title that had been tossed out by. Um, by hammer was the virgin vampires and uh okay. tudor tudor gates figured he he definitely had something there and he could work with that but uh it never came to be sadly well it's weird because i actually like all three of the films now i know the second one catches pure hell from a lot of people there's a song in the middle of the movie i guess they decided to have a music interlude yeah um uh, I, I still think in comparison to a lot of other like bad hammer, a lot of times is still better than a lot of other people's horror films. Sorry, but I, I, would, I would agree with that to a large degree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I like, I, I, I like lust for a vampire. I uh, like a little bit more. I like uh, the vampire lovers, the first film vampire lovers. It's so funny being a kid. I remember being at with my parents in the at the movie theater, walking in and seeing that really bad uh, American poster uh, for Vampire Lovers, where it shows the guy up against the wall, chained up, and he's like this real buff looking dude. And it's like you get in the film, and it's like there's no buff looking dudes in this movie <laughs> at all. It's a bunch of buff looking women that are chasing each other around. And I, I do like that film. I know that there's been some complaints about Ingrid Pitt and her age for playing the character of Carmilla mm. and all that. I, I, I don't care. I still find it to be uh, pretty damn good, pretty entertaining. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely R-rated. Um, all three of them are. But if you're going to do it, at least to me, all three of the films, I'm like, you know what? I like these films a lot. And the last one, is a strong entry. It's a real strong entry. We were at a uh, at Dragon Con. I don't know, three, three, four years back, and we did a panel on Hammer. And the the there was like it was like one of those ridiculous panels. Like there was like twelve guys up on the stage talking. Oh my god! And yeah, and somebody brought up Twins of Evil, and every guy except for one talked about how much they loved the guy goes, I thought it was terrible. And the, the damn audience and the guys on the, everybody turned on him. It's like, <laughs> no, no, dude, dude, it's a great movie. It's great. It really is. Yeah. And, I, and I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, okay, it was good. I mean, I remember, I remember the first time I ever saw it, buddy of mine had loaned me the videotape with a bunch of other hammer films I had never seen before. And it was, it was really good. So anyway, that's my, that's my introduction to how the first time I ever saw it, what about you? Uh, you know, the first time I ever saw it was on a bootleg videotape. I have a distinct memory because um, it was one that I wanted to see for a while because I, it's one that I had read the description of in like the Leonard Maltin guide. And had never right. it had never popped up on television where I'd been able to get a, a chance to see it. So right. um, at some point, sometime, I, it was the late 90s, there was a guy who managed to, it was a bootlegger who... Uh, was a, kind of a, a staple at uh, the South, Southeastern Science Fiction convent, Conventions. And he, uh, I don't know how, but he managed to get decent decent to excellent prints. I'm sure he was copying them from British source source VHS you know tapes of some type. Uh, right. But he had uh, the uncut Twins of Evil, 
And I was rather thrilled. That was one of many videotapes I bought from that guy. And that's the first time I ever saw it. And I just, I loved it the first time I saw it. Now, of course, um, by the, I think it may have been, it may have been the first of the three Kornstein films I got to see. Uh, huh. But I also I saw them all the same way initially, which was through bootleg videotapes. And right, um, right. I, to this day, Twins of Evil is still my favorite of the three. Um, okay. I, I, I enjoy all three of them. I do think Lust for Vampire is the weakest, although I still get a, I still get some joy out of it. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think Vampire Lovers is a solid, well done movie. I just feel it's a li- it's a, it's a little too stately. Uh, and it's, yeah, and it's that's pacing. a good that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, uh, well, also, too, the vampire in that, the Ingrid Pitt character, is is almost, uh, uh, I, I guess, pitiful. I mean, you kind of feel like she hates her situation, too. She's crying while she's trying to attack people and stuff, and it's it's a little different. Well, it's, uh, it's not just that. There's a... There's a because maybe because of that, I haven't watched the movie. If I haven't watched, I haven't rewatched the movie in probably about five years. But the the feeling I get, and, and it's probably something they were definitely aiming for, is that in the Vampire Lovers, what you're talking about is a film where the overwhelming sense that you're that you're getting from the lead care, well, from the the main vampire character played by Ingrid Pitt, is one of kind of a languid nature. The whole idea of having lived for as long as she has. And that's yeah. just the pace at which she lives life. And right. in a way, that's that's kind of good. And it works very effectively for uh, the character and the mood. But at the same time, it, it does start to feel like the movie needs to be sped up a little bit every now and then. But that's not to, that's not to say I don't like the movie. I'm just saying that, you know, if, if we're going to name favorites, I, I, I go with Twins of Evil every time out of the gate. Yeah, um, when you talk about the way Ingrid Pitt uh, portrays the character, it's a kind of a precursor to um, what is the name of the film? It was produced by Nicolas Cage. Willem Dafoe played uh, Nosferatu, the real, like he was supposed to Shadow be. of the Vampire. Shadow of the Vampire, which was, I almost look at this as a precursor to that. The whole, I, I don't really like my existence or I'm, I, I hate living this long. There's a reason people only live so long. And when I watch the two, I see a little bit of a connection between them. Like that was an early thing. There's, um, a, there's a little bit of that. I, in the, the, I think I, that I was think something I, that kind of got returned to a few times in different movies. It's not a particularly fantastic film, but I think that's one of the themes that runs through the hunger as well from the night from the eighties. You know, it's funny. I know people that love that film. I saw it once. I saw it on HBO uh, I it's have not interesting, seen it but since. it is a mess. Um, I, sh- I should watch it. Well, but you're saying it's a mess. I've heard other people say they absolutely love it. So now I'm kind of like, oh, there's a lot I guess to like to in it. Don't it. get me wrong. I mean, I've, I've, the performances I've, are the performances are right. exceptional. Uh, the mood and the atmosphere are fantastic. Yeah. But the movie really stumbles in actually attempting to tell a story. Uh, it it really struggles to tell a story. Okay. And well, I'll have to. I'll have to check it out. I mean, it's like I said, it, it was the it was on HBO in the '80s that I saw it, and I don't even know if it was the early whatever year it came out. It was I think probably it was just a few years after it came out, and I watched it. Yeah, and it's and it's been a long time, so I've got no clue. I'm a blank slate. I remember like little flashes of imagery, like yeah. Bowie looking old and stuff like that. Um, I, I think when you're talking about our three films, which will eventually, you know 
focus down on the the, the last one, I, I, I kind of I, I think I agree with you. I know that you know the the you know the the rock of Gibraltar just crumbled and <laughs> you know and 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 there's earthquakes and Moses you know split the Red Sea and then said to hell with it and put it back together again and you know all the stuff about you and me disagreeing. But I, I, I yeah I think you're right. I think Twins of Evil might be. The best of the three, and then lust, and then uh, without hating it, uh, or no, vampire excuse lovers. me, yeah. uh, vampire lovers is, is second, and then lust is is third. But I'm not gonna. I'm given all the incredibly horrible, horrible horror films I've seen in my life. <laughs> I'm not gonna be like some people that you know, people that that that, that are hammer lovers and they uh, are hammer aficionados or whatever, and they go, oh, that that movie that movie just stinks. And I'm like, no, I'm not going that far. I'm not going to do that. I mean, yeah, there's some bad stuff in it, but I, I still find myself being entertained when I watch it. Um, but twins is probably, it, it could, it could be the best of the three. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I enjoy now, it quite I will a bit. Say this. Um, um, it's very close, but it's not actually my favorite non Dracula hammer film from the seventies. Uh, I actually do prefer, uh, by a little bit, uh, Vampire Circus. Vampire yeah. Circus is a very good film. Yes, I mean, I almost, you know, God, how do I say that? There, that is that is a movie that the only way I ever got to see it. It was the first time I ever bought an international player. It was about maybe mm-hmm. fifteen years ago. Bought an international DVD player and then bought, and I got sick and tired of not being able to see what I wanted to see. I had not seen Hands of the Ripper. I had not seen uh, uh, Countess Dracula. I had not seen, you know, uh, the one you're talking about. And I, and I was like, so I went ahead, Vampire Circus, and I went ahead. Matter of fact, I'm looking right here, and I'm looking over at the box that I bought 15, 16 years ago, a PAL copy. And I got, or a British copy, and I got the uh, the the player, and I I was like, I, I want to see this stuff. I'm tired of waiting, and I really enjoyed Vampire film, Circus. It's a great film. It 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 has art artfulness and grace to it. Um, it's it's like like Twins of Evil. It's got a there there's some. There's something about it. It's very R-rated, but it's still very uh, elegant and everything. It's like Hands of the Ripper. Yeah, that's true. That's in a lot true, of ways, yeah. there's a there there's an adult R-rated, but still a a grace and a It's like it's like uh, masterpiece theater on acid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like I don't know. I mean, I I, I love the R-rated uh, period of Hammer, and there are films that people hate from that period. Well, I, I mean, don't, I don't find granted. myself hating any of the the R-rated period. You no, don't. don't. Yeah, you don't. And, and the reason you I don't. and the That's reason Rodney, I don't. But I'm talking to Rodney Barnett. Oh, I know. I know. I, I know the general early Terrence Fisher is is the is the. Yeah. I mean, and I'd like to see. I'd like to have seen Terrence Fisher direct Twins of Evil. I'd like to have seen you know Bernard Robinson do the sets for the for the movie uh, and stuff like that. But yeah, you know, but they, by this time they, they, there they, was Hammer didn't really exist anymore at this time. That's something that I've learned in my my research. Right. I mean. The the Vampire Lovers, um, it's a Hammer film, but it's a Hammer film really in name only. In name now, only, as, as are the rest right. of these movies. They're really independent productions that Hammer that right. Hammer kind of oversaw uh, in a production in a production capacity. And uh, that, right. and if you know if you want to draw that line for a lot of Hammer fans, once 
Hammer as a going concern, as Hammer as a story generating place or as a, uh, a, a, a an actual production house, then it becomes something different. And I would agree, except that very much in keeping with the tone of the earlier Hammer films, uh, as the director of this film said, he says, I, I, he said, even even when Hammer finally kind of faded away in the mid to late seventies, he still felt that there was a place for those types of films. And I think that that's true of a lot of the people who were making those movies, these quote unquote independent Hammer films in the seventies, is they they wanted to be making those kinds of films, or they wouldn't have been there, or they wouldn't have stuck around and made more than one, as they often did. So it becomes a it becomes right. a question of do you not want to see it as Hammer? simply because they moved into the 70s and it's like, oh, okay, well, now we can be R-rated. Now we can actually, you know, instead of being suggestive and, and incredibly, incredibly suggestive in certain cases, we can actually show some of the things that we've been hinting around at or playing coy with. And, uh, for, you know, for a lot yeah. of people that, that you know, I, I won't call them prudish, but it's it's more question in some cases of it being not to their taste. In other words, they, when they when they go to the fridge and they want to grab a hammer, you know, a big drink, a hammer, what they want is something that didn't involve, you know, nipples. So, uh, yeah. or, you know, actual blood or a limb being severed in front of you or whatever thing that it is that they see as, quote unquote, the 70s, you know, and, and it's it's and that's fine. It's just that I I like seeing the, the studio's product advance into the R-rated world and still maintain for you know years that gothic feel. That's one of the reasons why uh, Terrence Fisher's Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell is absolutely one of my favorite of their Frankenstein movies. I think it's incredibly strong. And yes, it's got a good deal more graphic violence within it, but it it still fits beautifully right alongside all of the other of his Frankenstein films. You think it's really that more... It's funny, because I always look at Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell as being fairly light in terms of, of in terms of violence. I think it's a, it's a damn good movie, although I'm not... You know, some people bitch about Kiwi Kingston's makeup in Evil of Frankenstein. For me, the the, the makeup in uh, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, I'm just like, oh god. Well, I like I like the bestial makeup, but I think that uh, I think I, I, I think you tend to forget the 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 destruction of the monster at the end of Monster from Hell, which is very much like a scene out of Coriolanus, where you know someone's being dismembered on stage. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, I watched uh, Frankenstein of the Monster from Hell just about two months ago. That was the that was the single first movie I ever saw at a drive in the number one film. And it was a triple feature. My 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 sister and uh, her soon to be husband uh, took me over to the Waco drive in right outside the base in uh, Goldsboro, North Carolina. And it was Frankenstein of the Monster from Hell was the first one. The second film was Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, and the third film was Horror Express. Ooh. And, and that, that was my first drive-in experience. Now, you talk about a damn good first drive-in experience. I loved it. I, I loved it. I can't see how uh, anything ever lived up to that ever again. No, I mean, it's just one of those things where it was just damn good. I mean, here I am. I was... 13 or 14 when that happened and here i am talking i'm I'm getting another year or two i'll be 60 so i'm still talking about it but um yeah i mean i like when hammer goes to r-rated it's almost like okay at least you're being honest about it 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. even in stuff, even when they still have some PG stuff like Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde and you see Martine Beswick change over to him and she kind of inspects herself. She opens up the front of her jacket and her breasts are there and she's like, oh, my God. I'm go-. I mean, it's like they're being they're being honest. It's like this is what would probably closer to what would really happen if, you know, vampires uh, seduce uh, in the movie. We're talking about Twins of Evil. There are scenes of, you know, vampires, uh, uh, you know, well, one especially who's semi-nude on the attack. And it was like it started off as a scene of seduction and then turned into a full out attack, Um, which was always the undercurrent all the way back to. The, the you know horror of horror of Dracula, which was you know Christopher Lee being this suave, sexy creature who we knew that his goal was to bite, but for the women it seemed very much that they were being seduced, and their their thoughts may well have been that his goal was to kiss. So, yeah, the thing is, I don't remember the name of the actress in the original uh, what we call horror of Dracula, the Dracula fifty seven, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, a hammer film the the woman in there there's you know a woman or two in the in the film who are like hey you know i'm kind of digging this and that you know they, we certainly didn't see that in the bell of the Gosi era and i don't think we even saw it in what was the name of the one movie was it actually was there actually a film what was the return of dracula what was that one the american film oh um yeah, in the early to mid, as in the mid fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it had, it had a it had a num- it had a number on it like Dracula nineteen fifty something. I forget what it. I mean, it took place in at the time modern time. Yeah, I don't remember there being a scene of a woman really kind of digging the fact that this vampire was coming after her. Well, I can't but, remember the first. I really can't remember the first vampire film in which the uh, the actresses being. Uh, Shall we shall we say uh, drained are acting as if it is a pleasurable experience, but that is pretty that did quickly kind of become a standard uh, sometime in either the late fifties or early sixties. The whole idea of the 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 act of being of having your blood sucked out of your neck by a vampire being. Uh, somewhat like uh, a, a sexual experience, somewhat like uh, so at, at times almost seeming to to elicit an orgasm. Right. And, uh, you know, the first time that guys ever get that impression, it's actually before the women do in Horror of Dracula. And that is that Valerie Gaunt is hitting on Jonathan Harker yeah. uh, a bit. Oh, rescue me. He treats me terribly. And, uh, well, of course, I'll help you. I'll help you. And then she starts to lean forward and she is a knockout. Oh, yeah. And she moves in real close, and it looks like there's going to be a kiss. Next thing you know, she's got a fair, a, 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 a pair of spikes, <laughs> you know, for, for for teeth. And then, of course, that's the incredibly famous moment where Christopher Lee shows up and, and is pissed off with her for trying to bite, you know, bite Harker. But it really is a seduction scene up until the moment where the fangs come out. And uh, so I guess that works both ways. I mean, that guy was being seduced with a help me, sir, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of in trouble here. Well, he was, he was uh, being seduced by some amazing cleavage. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, the woman, the woman is beautiful. I mean, she's absolutely gorgeous, but it's also that, 
there's more to it than that. It's the Hollywood way, and I'm saying Hollywood, even though we know this is Hammer, is yeah. that Technicolor yeah. look. That, like when I was a little kid and I, I put on a Hammer film, I would put them on, and the first thing in the back of my head I thought was, oh, this is like one of Mommy's musicals. This is like sing, oh the bright the bright singing in the right. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know me. You know how I mean. You know me as an illustrator. I deal with color all the time, and all I could ever think of when I saw Hound of the Baskervilles or Horror of Dracula or whatever is that the color. And when you actually get to, I don't even know whether uh, 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 Curse of Frankenstein or, or or the film right after the Dracula Horror of Dracula, as we call it are in Technicolor, but when you get to Brides of Dracula, it actually says on the movie poster, in Technicolor. And that's the thing. It almost looks like, I'm not going to say that it looks like people are going to break out into song, but there's that same atmosphere. There's that Technicolor atmosphere, that color. Well, it's, the, it's, the, it's that look that I associate with something like Singing in the Rain. It, it really yeah. is. And you know what? That's an incredible that's an incredible thing that makes the big screen so important to us. When I watch a Technicolor film, when I watch Gone with the Wind or whatever, when you see it, the color is, I, I don't even know if you could call it surreal. It just envelops you. It's like this is a surreality of epic proportions. And when I watch Hammer films, especially the ones now, I will say this later with the R-rated ones we're talking about, it get a little bit plain. But the, the, the early Terrence Fishers and all that kind of stuff, there's this punch to the color, especially Brides of Dracula. Yeah, That's an yeah, amazing yeah. movie to watch for color. And uh, and when you watch Horror of Dracula, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, I know they're not going to break out into song because this is a horror film, but still the color is so vivid uh, I think that's one of the reasons Hammer is is as great as it is. I think that they said, let's go to color. Let's go to color during these gothics. And they knew all the 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 costumes and the jewelry and the equipment and the lab and the Dracula's castle. Well, also the sets, those amazing gothic sets that were they, they, they were part of they were part and parcel of the appeal of the look of these things. It, because they were trying, you know, they were working overtime to sell those period those period uh, sets. I agree with with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Bernard Robinson is is absolutely one of the greatest heroes of Hammer. I mean, it's like he's almost yeah. as important as Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee and Terrence Fisher. I I lose my mind when I see those things. I mean, like uh, several months back, I put on uh, the Blu-ray of uh, Brides of Dracula, and me and the kids are watching. We're just like, oh my god, oh look at the look at the light from the fireplace going onto the wall or the or the little yeah. this or the that i mean it's it's an amazing it's amazing what they did it's amazing what hammer did especially when you consider the budgets of what they had with what they had and um i i find them to be um i find them to be stunning it's 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 like the swiss jeweler the Swiss jeweler, he didn't have a lot of money. He's working with these little things, but he is totally dedicated to his craft, and he does great work. And that's the way I feel about it. I've always called Hammer like the Swiss jeweler of uh, the Swiss watchmaker of films. They're, they don't have a ton of money, but what they do is incredible. 
I and I think that continues to be something that you can see in these 1970s films when you know it's it's very much a different thing when you see a Hammer movie from the 70s. It, it's like we said, basically an independent production under under the banner of Hammer. But I think that the the people making those movies in the 70s they were still aiming to make that kind of movie. That's what sure, they wanted sure. to do. And so that's why, I mean, they're trying to retain as, as much of that as possible while also playing, you know, also playing in the more mature adult end of the, uh, end of the pool. Well, I mean, remember too, you and I are kids. Well, I, excuse me, refresh my memory. How old are you? Uh, I I was born in 68, so I am currently 52. Okay. Okay. So you're not that, you're not that that much younger than me. Okay. Were you were you around? Were you like going into the magazine store, the bookstore, whatever, and seeing Creepy and Eerie at the time or Vampirella? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you walk in and you open the magazine up and there's like Esteban Moroto artwork or 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 San Julian's on the cover and all these different guys. And earlier before you and I were actually looking at stuff, it would have been Frazetta and everything. But you open it up and there's like this vampire girl and she's like Oh, damn near completely naked or semi-covered up or sometimes not covered up. It was like a precursor to heavy metal magazine. But that yep. was the state of the publication thing going on. And there was a connection between Hammer. They knew that people in the United States were, interesting, were interested in what they were doing. Famous Monsters proved that. But they were also looking at it. And as you know just as well as I do, Hammer had announced they were going to do a Vampirella film so you know they were paying attention to the kind of work that was going on inside Warren magazines yeah and oh by the way you do know that uh, it's John Ho uh, jo is it John Ho how do you pronounce I it? would say Ho or Hof Huff, Huff. Well, John Huff I, the man who directed this film yeah uh, was actually the man who was shepherd shepherding um, the Vampirella film through Hammer. Yeah. And uh, actually, I've got some details on that, which are pretty damn interesting. Okay, go ahead. Uh, well, it seems that uh, one of the problems they ran into is that there was... Uh, how best to put this? He says, I got involved with Vampirella based on the James Warren comic. A deal was done, and we had to find an actress. We had a casting session in Hollywood, and a playmate... Uh, called Barbara Lee won the part. Yeah. What I didn't know was that Michael Carreras was doing his own casting, and he'd also found a woman that he wanted it to play Vampirella. So one day we arranged to go to dinner together, and I said to Barbara, dress up as Vampirella and come to dinner with Michael Carreras. Said, and she got this costume made, and she looked fantastic. I went to pick up Michael and knocked on the door, and another Vampirella came out, and he'd <laughs> done the same thing. He told this other woman to do to do it to impress me. So we went out to dinner, and that night, with these two Vampirellas, it was the worst atmosphere in any restaurant I've ever been in. Oh, wow. So at this point, God. he says we needed, yeah, so we, we needed to close the deal with AIP, yeah. and on the day it had to be closed, there was a board meeting, and I arranged for Barbara to dress up in her Vampirella outfit, outfit yeah. wait outside the boardroom, and on a signal, she was to come in, jump on the table, and run down it in front of all the board members. We were discussing the contract when she came in and did it, and they signed the deal. Huh. It wasn't, it wasn't until later when we read the contract that they'd signed. The deal provided that we get a host of other big-name American artists in support in the film. Okay. We couldn't get one, and that's why at the, the 11th hour, AIP pulled out, and it never happened. However, against my advice, Barbara had sold her, her home. She sold everything to come and make it. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, terrible, no, man. No, no, no. You know, um, I'll... 
I, who was the other actress? I mean, I, that's who I'm curious about. Who was the? Actress? Oh, he does. He doesn't name. He doesn't her. name her. I mean, I'm wondering if it would have been because people have always hinted that you know who who this that or that. Um, Barbara Lee, I, God knows, I remember all the times you would look at the cover of Vampirella and they do a photo cover with her on the cover. So, yeah. in other words, she got like a little bit of a uh, a modeling career with Warren. Uh, I mean, I don't remember it was three or four covers or whatever that she did. And then I, I and then we saw pictures of her at one of the famous monsters conventions. You know, she came out in the costume and all that stuff. And I I sort of, you know, see pictures of her from other films. I think was it Pretty Maids All in a Row or is that is that the right actress? Anyway, and, and hanging out with Steve McQueen and some other film and all that. And I'm like, you know, this this could work. This could work. Uh, with Peter Cushing as Pendragon, which was a lot of people were like, Okay, that's that's a perfect fit. But I it's one of those things and I know that in Britain recently not too long ago, they did a reading of the Vampirella Hammer script, and they got all the actors and actresses to to, to, to sit out there. And I think they got Carolyn Monroe to read the. Oh um, yeah, that would make it. Yeah. To to read the the vampire. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of people that went. You know, friends of mine. Oh, well, these Facebook friends that went to see this reading. Uh. Uh, I mean, I could see even back then. I could see Carolyn Monroe oh, yeah. being Vampirella, but yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, I I even did a book cover for the unfilmed Hammer. Yeah. Uh, for for Richard Clemenson, and I did uh, a, a Barbara Lee style Vampirella on the cover, including a couple of other things, including uh, Yul Brenner. They wanted him to play uh, Prince Vlad, and then the uh, uh, the Loch Ness monster movie that Hammer. Uh, had done with funding by uh, uh, David Ooh. Frost, where Hammer was going to do a Nessie, a movie called Nessie, and it was, had like a five million dollar budget with uh, with money from da- the uh, David Frost, and uh, oddly enough, special effects by Toho. Uh, although See, it was there a are Hammer so many film, of those unfilmed Hammer projects the- that just made me. I, I remember reading those those uh, that particular. You know, I remember reading those books and and. And learning about like the Zeppelins versus pterodactyls story, and I was just like, "Oh God!" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's so cool with Jim yeah. Danforth doing the special effects. Or, I mean, some of them are like a little bit more intense, like the Savage Jack Boot. Uh, I guess it's a concentration camp or a Nazi thing with Peter Cushing as a, you know, and you're sort of like, okay, uh, I'm not, you know, quite as interested in that, but still, it would be interesting to see all of these films uh, you know it's just one of those things that lets you know how many things go up on the on the on the what, what's the word I'm looking for the pile yeah, of the, the, okay the, it ain't gonna the, happen the gets tossed up yeah. tossed up on the car gets, gets, gets shoved in the garbage bin or whatever and it makes you kind of sad but Vampirella is probably one of the most famous not filmed uh, properties for all of us guys and gals who like um the genre stuff. I wish it had happened. I, you know, it'd be okay. Maybe even if it was a bomb, just so that we could scratch the itch and go, okay, it didn't work. I know later in they like made 96, one. In the, they did what? one for, they did one for cable and it yeah. was anemic and sad. Yeah. Crap. It was crap. Uh, it was, it was, it was very sad, but, uh, you will be Maria now. Unsuspected. Good and kind. Think of the havoc you can cause. 
I thought it was your sister that I loved. But now, I know. Let's talk about uh, before we start going through a, a brief uh, run of the uh, the plot. Uh, let's talk about the the really exceptional things here, the things that people came to see. And I'm not talking about the breasts. You were probably thinking I was going to bring up breasts, but that's not where I was going. Uh, and yet you still brought them up. Well, I, I was trying to short circuit your obvious, you know, de- deceitful and horrible way of looking at at the world around you. And I wanted to make sure that we we kept things uh, on a, on a higher plane. Uh, a better, oh. a better strata of conversation. Something Hold on for a where second. we don't descend, we don't, we don't descend into the gully. Hold on for a second. Let me put down my Bible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, actually, uh, let, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the fact that uh, th- this film sports an absolutely amazing performance from Peter Cushing, which is not a surprise uh, for a Hammer film. Yeah. But he does play a character here that is a bit against type at least for the first two-thirds of the picture, for what Peter Cushing generally played in a Hammer film. Yes. Because you don't uh, like this guy no, for a while. No, as a matter of fact, um, God, how do I put this? It's, um, I really hate that character. I, yeah. I hate him because he's stupid. I hate him because he's just, you know, using a scythe and 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 swinging it back and forth and killing innocent people, and and I, he does not see that that's what he's doing, and that's well, the I, that's I, the the horror of his character, though. I I think I think that the that the the the, the, the twins the the there there are two twins in this film. There's one that's kind of more good and one that's that's not so good. I'm not going to say she's rotten. She's just a little bit more of a, I ain't putting up with your crap kind of a kind of a girl but she says that hey you know because peter cushing's supposed to be their uncle after their parents died they've come to to live with them she's sort of like well uncle gustav is uh is waiting for us to do something wrong so he can come in and punish us like it's sexual like it would be a sexual thing and i'm kind of like you know i i watch this film and i get very pissed uh when I watch it, and I don't mean—I—I I, I guess I could say I don't mean that in a bad way, but maybe I even do mean it in a bad way. I think that it shows uh, religion where it is so over the top. Just we get to do anything in the name of our religion. That there are a bunch of uh, of of young, uh, innocent people uh, that you see at the beginning of this film that die for nothing. They didn't do it oh, yeah. wrong. Yeah, They're definitely. decent people. And Peter Cushing, okay, you got Peter Cushing when he's Van Helsing. Oh, my God, he's just such a wonderful man. I mean, I'd marry him. 
And then you've got <laughs> you've got Peter Cushing where he's the Baron, a Baron Frankenstein. Okay, he's just, he's either anywhere from well, in Evil of Frankenstein, he's not such a bad guy, or, or or Frankenstein created woman, he's not such a bad guy. But then you get to you know uh, the uh, well, in those first two movies, he's a, the first two movies, he's a pretty bad guy. Uh, I, I'd say one. I'd say the first one he's a bad guy. Second one he's almost the precursor to the next couple of films. But then you get to Frankenstein must be destroyed, and he's a complete and utter bastard. Yeah, and I, yeah. And I love it. I love it. He is so gray. I I swear to God, I think they changed the color of his eyes for the film. It looks steely gray in the movie. It's it's almost like it might be, I don't know if it might be his greatest performance, but it's damn sure close. But you look at it, I, this film, and it's yeah. not the same reason. The Baron in the Frankenstein films feels like he is superior, and he gets to do what he is doing Ultimately, whether it's that it helps mankind or not, it is the advancement of knowledge. Then this character is is somehow I kind of agree with the girl before she turns into a vampire. There is something really sick about this group of guys that just work themselves up. It's almost like they can't uh, they can't have sex, so they're going to go out and kill somebody. Oh, I think that's definitely the implication of the story. I think that's, they never spell it out, but it does seem very much as if this is a way for them to deal with their sublimated sexual tension. This is a way for them to uh, have some kind of, for lack of a better term, release, instead of, uh, shall we say, fornicating as much as they might like. They should have just gotten laid. Precisely. Yeah. And this is, and and I think that... uh, I think a few of them, and I think Gustav Weil, the Peter Cushing character, is certainly someone who feels as if he is justified, especially at the beginning of the film. It's not long before he starts to have, we start to see evidence on his face that he's uh, he, he's having some some concerns about the, 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 the swiftness of their justice, the, yeah. the, the, the speed with which they come to their conclusions and then enact their... Uh, their horrible burnings at the stake of these these women and um i, I kept waiting uh, it, it doesn't happen in this and the story the story could have benefited a little bit from it and I, I i wish there'd been just at least one line of dialogue where someone uh possibly uh the uh wonderful david warbeck character later in the film may have said something along the lines of when was the last time you burned a guy at the stake yeah you know in other words good point are you ever ever Pulling some man out of a out of a bed and stringing him up half naked and burning him to death, or is it just someone that you might find sexually attractive? Well, but they, here's what the guy said: the the hero of the film. Um, I don't remember the actor's name. Somebody who I recently finally saw the movie Duck You Sucker, and he was in it uh, in a, in a silent capacity. But the actor, I don't remember. Oh, but he wait, said. He said. Uh, he Wait, said. You mean, uh, you mean you mean you mean Count Karnstein? No, no, the hero of the film, David Warbeck. In, yeah, he was in. Yeah, he was in Duck You Suckers. That is that's his name, David Warbeck. So he says this. He goes, "You you guys kill uh, uh, pretty young girls or some old man." In other words, anybody that's defenseless. But yeah, I mean, as the audience were watching it, it's like, why are you? There's a girl walking home with a basket full of flowers. She's beautiful. She's full of life. She's happy. And then you instantly snatch that up and you burn her. She didn't deserve it. She she didn't do anything wrong. 
that's my that's I'm not going to say my problem with the movie because I because it does have this arc that you follow and and get it, but I still it makes me angry when I watch the movie. And I think it's I think it's supposed to. It's a, of course it is, but it works. Okay? It works, okay. it works I mean, beautifully. It, 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 did its, but the, my, it did its. But here's my question: Is um, when we start talking about uh, Cushing's performance in the film, and about how good he generally is, uh, I think that one of the joys of this movie, if not the primary joy in a lot of ways, is watching him play a character that actually has an arc. Yes. Yeah. He has. Yes. And I'll tell you what. My favorite scene in the film is when his his wife, their yes, aunt, yes. The, the, the twins' aunt, confronts him, and that's when there's a tipping point for me that brings me to, okay, I'm not just going to grab a shotgun and blow up the television screen. <laughs> uh, uh, as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll go so far to this. I'm almost 60 years old, Okay. The, the, the attractive women in this film are in their probably 20s or whatever. There's the original vampire, um, uh, Carmilla, and then there's the twins and all that kind of stuff. But to me, the most attractive woman in the movie is the aunt. Oh, wow, really? And my, at, yes, I think she's I think she's strikingly beautiful. I just, that, that's, you know, I mean, there's something about her. She is so together and as the film goes on she starts whipping a little ass you know she starts like you know oh are you going to do something about it finally you know <laughs> that kind of thing well the actor She's the actress's pretty. name is Kathleen Byron and she had an amazing yeah. career she uh if you've ever seen black narcissus you'll never forget her oh yeah 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 yeah, uh, yeah, yeah and yeah. she i mean she was amazing in that she's just incredible in that but i mean she did a, she did a whole lot of stuff i mean one of the last things that she did on screen it wasn't the last thing was uh she was in saving private ryan for god's sake holy crap yeah. okay now i gotta go watch that again <laughs> well i liked her because i mean uh, I, it's funny even as a kid i mean I'm, I'm looking at the twins of evil and yes the girls are very pretty okay they oh, are gorgeous yeah but but they're, but they're but they got that those baby faces. They look like little babies. It's like and now you know being a guy who's who has a daughter and I'm like sort of like yeah it looks like you know it's like it's not that it looks like my daughter but it's like it's like their faces are so babyish. I'm like you know uh, well let me let me make sure your diapers changed and you've got a <laughs> bottle and everything. Um, the girls let, let's talk about them. Okay, these are two girls who. The twins, the Collinson twins. Right. They are um, not actresses. I mean, they were. In, I guess they were in Playboy first. Well, they were. They were. In a, they, they were in a, a couple of small little roles in a couple of movies before this, and they were primarily models. So yeah. Yes, and then they do this film. Now, you, you're going to have to be Mister Information on this. Are are those their voices in the film? No, they are not. The, uh, the, the It's very clear that they are speaking the lines in English, but both of them are dubbed. Uh, do they have a like a, a like a, a different accent or something, or yes. is it just sort of they? If, my, if memory serves, and let me, my my understanding is their English was not the best, although they they were Maltese British, quote unquote. Uh, oh, okay. So they were originally born in in Malta, and uh, I. I from what I understand, uh, at least at least one of them passed away there in 2014. But at the same time, uh, the, uh, yeah. the 
they did have, uh, if not problems with English. I mean, they obviously spoke English, but uh, their voices were not uh, deemed appropriate or, or, or a good fit for the roles they were playing. So it's the it's the old James Bond. Uh, the Bond girl sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's like Carolyn Monroe has beautiful, a beautiful English accent. And yet they had, my name is Naomi. I mean, I mean, when I talked with Carolyn Monroe, I was like, I'm glad they brought Arnold Schwarzenegger in to do your voice. My name is Naomi. But, you know, <laughs> but, but I will say this. Okay. So you get this accent that might throw people off a little bit. But if you had told me, yes, those are their voices, I still would have believed you, but I, I, I would have believed that they were looped just to give it a little bit more presence. Yeah. But it yeah. works. I'm going to say in this film it works. Now, these ladies are, are obviously not uh, seasoned professional actors, but I'll say given the fact that when you bring in twins, it's like, okay – we're bringing them in because they're twins. We're bringing them in because they're twins and they're very beautiful. We're bringing them in because they're twins and they look great without their clothes on. Yeah. But but you bring them in and it's like, you know what? I kind of think they did a good job. I think that the one girl playing the nicer of the two and the one other one uh, not putting up with the crap or certainly not putting up with a, a, a love for Peter Cushing's bullshit – and I'm kind of like, this is they, they did not do a bad job for for uh, novices. No, I think they were. Know? I think they were very well handled by their director. I think that they were well coached, and I think that they do a they do a damn fine job, especially considering that a lot of the film does rest on on their shoulders. Uh, I think that they're. I think that they did at least as well as they needed to, and in their in several scenes, I think they do better than I would have expected, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think there's also for me, um, you know, you know my profession. I do monster magazine artwork. I do covers and Blu-ray covers and stuff like that. But there's also another thing that Hammer has, especially with like we were talking about this on the uh, the previous episode with uh, the Mummy Shroud, is that sometimes there is art created not only in the film but the publicity for the film. Yeah. And we were talking about um, in the Mummy Shroud uh, the uh, what was the name of the actress in the Mummy Shroud the blonde lady. Oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm anyway. Lost. I can't remember. Well, okay. Well, the thing is, is that we were talking about the fact that there was all this photography done of her with the mummy, and she's in a nightgown. And I'm going to tell you some of the best stuff from that film is the photography for the publicity photography of her with the mummy uh, uh, on the attack with her in her nightgown. And I was very disappointed when I saw the film that there were no scenes like that. But at the same time, I have to, I have to separate that and go, there was a, a set photographer who had a romance with the material and knew what they were doing and did a great job with the Collinsons. Okay. The publicity photograph of Madeline Collinson there's a photograph of her with the victim, uh, Price, the actor. Den uh, yeah, Dennis De Price. Yeah. Dennis Price. Dennis Price. And I love that photograph. I would love to not have the rest of the world have ever seen it so I could paint it. And everybody goes, Maddox, oh, oh my God, <laughs> you did this great photograph, this great painting. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. but there's this great photograph of, uh, of, of Dennis Price with his head thrown back with a big chunk of meat taken out of his neck. Yeah. 
and uh, one of the Collinson girls is like, <sighs> and she's just bit him, and she's she's very her fangs are like really open. Her the inside of her mouth, for lack of a better term, is black. It's like nothing goes past the teeth. Her eyes are staring, and her bosom is very heaving and all that kind of stuff. But he, so it's like everything. It's like sex and violence right at the same moment. It's one of those dualities where you're sort of like, uh, I don't know whether I'm supposed to masturbate or scream. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you've got Possibly this. Both. But you've got this great image. And it's like, I'd love to I'd love to paint that someday. It's not actually in the film. No, it's not. He walks to a cave, a cave very reminiscent uh, of the cave in uh, uh, Island of Terror. Uh, yeah, and then you hear him yell, and then she gets she she bites him or whatever. But the but the publicity photograph for it is awesome. Um, I, I, but anyway, so I mean that's that's the thing. This is me being an artist. This is what drives me nuts sometimes. It's like, <laughs> damn, damn, that is such a cool photograph, you know. So the the Collinson twins they do a, they do a good job. I mean, yeah, I, surprise, I have no surprisingly problem. enough, yeah. Yeah, and then there's other guys in the film. Is um, Bernie Maines in this, correct? No, 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 he's not. Uh, uh, Who's the one that gets his blood drained? Because, my God, he sounds like Ferdy. I know Ferdy's in uh, in The Vampire Lovers, but the guy that is almost like Ferdy's twin, younger twin or something like that, the guy that gets his blood drained. I have uh, no idea who you're talking about. From the Brotherhood. He sounds just like him. And I'm like, that's not Ferdie Main, is it? He's no, too young. No, he's not Ferdie Main. Here's the, here's the thing for me. Uh, the the Well, first of all, this is a... I don't know that anybody would have thought so at the time. But this is a pretty stacked cast when you are looking backwards at it. Um, right. And one of the reasons why... I mean, first of all, of course, you have Peter Cushing. And you have yes. and you have the twins who are very eye catching and surprisingly good at what they're doing, yeah. but and, and of course Kathleen Byron who was was very good and had had many uh, you know award nominations and was considered a, a, a damn fine actress and so was Dennis Price he was a well known oh yeah well yeah he was big he was that was big news exactly yeah, for sure but at the same time while we're looking back at it we have the we have it we have people in it who came to the film because of the director uh most especially david warbeck who of course went on to have a pretty darn interesting career even if you're not a lucio fulci fan but the right the, his his uh or an antonio margariti fan because he was in like four antonio margariti films in the 80s that i dearly love but the 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 joys of this is that a lot of those a lot of the actors in this movie came to this production because of john hoff the uh, the director because he'd worked with all of them in uh, one of his first productions one of the first things he got to direct which was this uh, thing called Wolf's Head which was a uh, version of the Robin Hood story in which in which David Warbeck played Robin Hood and I've heard I've heard two different stories uh, one from some there it was either originally commissioned as a TV pilot that never went to series or they filmed it as an independent production, hoping that it would either be that, that it would be a feature film or uh, a television uh, pilot one way or the other. It got released as a, a feature film and it's a pretty good little version of the Robin Hood story. It's not bad, but there's like a list of about eight actors, including Warbeck, who were in this movie that were in Wolf's Head just two years before. And uh, okay, so you're thinking it's uh, 
hey, we're pals. Come on and make this film with Right. Me. So th- these are people who he had worked with, the director had worked with before, and were like, okay, he was like, okay, well, you would fit perfectly in this role and you would fit perfectly in this role. I mean, you know, everybody from, uh, I think, Isabel, uh, Isabel Black and uh, Harvey Hall uh, and uh, Judy Matheson, there are all these different actors who are in this movie that were in Wolf's Head, and it's one of those things where you're just you're, you're just going... Well, this is this is what a, a director does, which is okay. I, you know, I had these people work in this production for very little money, <laughs> and now I've got uh, now I've got something where they can actually make some change. Let me let me call them in here as well. Right, pretty pretty, pretty well, cool thing. Well, Warbeck is very good. Yes, I mean he is. It's almost like you know, <laughs> I'm going to say this, and and Rodney's going to be like, oh brother, uh-oh, but. Uh-oh. Warbeck is almost like if Gaston from uh, Beauty and the Beast, the Walt Disney cartoon, oh, no. was an was a nice guy. You know what I mean? He's got that big. Are you talking about of the, he's, he, well, he does kind of have a similar face. That's true. Well, I mean, but the whole point is in the uh, in the Beauty and the Beast, he's an asshole. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like it's like that's the guy that you would normally go. Oh, that's the person we're supposed to, but they, they did a beautiful job. But Warbeck is like if Gaston was the nice guy. Yeah, yeah. And and he does a great job. I really like the guy. I mean, there's a whole balance. He, he tries to tell you, it's like you got to balance it out between your faith and intelligence. You know, somebody said recently, it's like, uh, uh, you know, God will protect us. And it's like somebody said, well, God. Uh, also gave us the uh, ability to understand science, yep. you know, and so I'm 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 sort of like that with this Warbeck character. That's kind of what he's saying in the early '70s, and I I really like that. Um, he's uh, he's personal. Now let me ask you a question. You've seen Ducky Sucker, right? Yeah, of course. Or there's fist, a big old, fistful of dynamite, or or fistful of dynamite. Yeah, I, mean, I finally saw it. I I really enjoyed it, but. There's a big old mole on his face in Fistful of Dynamite. Is he? Is that real or is that made up? I think did that was makeup. One? Did he grow one during the? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, gr- he, he grunted one out. Yeah, he. he yeah, he, he, he pinched decided. one out. He pinched one out. <laughs> of course, I think that's. No, I think but, that's what it is. Yeah, but I'm looking at him. I like losing my mind. I go, my God, I've seen that guy before. Oh yeah, I've seen that. And I went and I looked back. Oh, okay, holy crap. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he does a great job. Now, let's talk about a couple of the, the Brotherhood. Now, these are Peter Cushing's guys. The henchmen, the henchmen, yeah. The henchmen, right. Uh, the blonde guy who was also in uh, The Vampire Lovers, who got attacked by, uh, I think it was Ingrid Pitt. Um, who is that actor? Because I saw him a lot. Uh, You're giving me so much to work with here. Uh, remember the one where Peter Cushing's going to burn his own uh, niece, and the guy and he can't do it, and the guy goes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that guy's a good actor. I've always liked him. He he was good. Alex Scott. Oh, Alex Scott was the guy that I thought was uh, somehow miraculously a younger version of Ferdy Maine. I apologize. Uh, <laughs>
to say that uh, this movie does have a great, a great tagline delivered perfectly by Peter Cushing. The devil has sent me twins of evil, which uh, I, of course, have always perverted into quadruplets of joy. But that's you know, uh, a, uh, uh, that's uh, that's just me you know, remarking on the the rather nice uh, nice chest areas of the twin ladies. Oh, this is and, you're taking too long. Let me get to let me cut to the chase, Mama. <laughs> I'm finished. Good night. <laughs> good, good. You, you, you've done all we asked you to do. <laughs> well, okay. Let's let's talk about this because uh, I, I think that, that there's we we've talked around a lot of this, but let's take a quick run through some of the details of this just to, uh, to remind me of a few things that I wanted to talk about, if nothing else. Uh, okay, so uh, Peter Cushing plays Gustav Vile. Uh, he and his brotherhood, which is uh, basically just a fanatical group of witch hunters, uh, if you want to be nice about it. Uh, they ride deep into the forest on a regular basis to accuse a young woman who lives there of witchcraft. This is the very be- very beginning of the film. And then they burn her at the stake. Now, what I love is the film very easily sets up at the beginning of this, right at the, right in this first scene, that uh, they don't really seem to have a whole lot of proof that this woman's any kind of witch or that she's mean-spirited or cruel. So they're already, right in the first scene, setting up the possibility, if not probability, that uh, these are some misguided dipshits. Yes, I I feel like um, the, we see two or three scenes like this, um, and they keep doing this and doing this. But here's the interesting point: they get to the guy who has the castle nearby, the the basically the overlord of the area, and Count Karnstein. Count Karnstein, and he doesn't give a damn. It's this weird impotent thing where. I can't get at the big head honcho. I cannot get at the big person that really should be taken to task for what they're doing. So I'm going to get all these little subgroup people around them, and I'm going to be outraged by them, and I'm going to burn them at the stake, even if they have done nothing wrong. It's it's an infuriating thing. Uh, well, yeah, and that Cushing's character is—I mean, I would—I would count Gustav as kind of a, a deeply religious but overzealous man who 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 does clearly hate the power of the aristocracy and its uh, rather uh, sinful, yeah, evil decadence. I, 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 but, but he's killing innocent people. Correct. I mean, so I mean, mis- I mean, I just look misguided. at him. I just it's, want to just take a, take a machete and bury it in his head, and all of his followers—they're impotent little guys who aren't getting laid, who are out there killing women because it's their replacement for the fact that they're not having sex. So they're killing <laughs> innocent women with the with the whole thing of uh, they're witches or vampires or whatever they are. And my attitude is, why don't you go up to the goddamn castle and burn that thing down? And in, in a way, I'm going to well, say... Well, of course they can't. And that, that, I think, is one of the best things. I love the scene, the very first scene where we're introduced to Count Karnstein, because the Gustav and his brotherhood are, are once again out in the night, found another woman that they, you know, lives on her own and, and doesn't have a husband and seems to have many husbands as one of the, as one of the, uh, as one of the masturbators in the corner seems to say. And so he's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they show up there and Karnstein's there, you know, in bed with her. 
And he do, he just runs them off. He taunts them about the fact that they can't do a damn thing to him because if they did that, anything I to him. I love, is it Damian Lewis? Is that his name? Damian? Uh, no, no, Damian, uh, 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 da- I'm sorry, Damian Thomas. Damian Thomas. You know, He's a great okay, coach, yeah. I want to say something. My, I went to a convention, hell no. I don't even know whether it was probably at uh, Wonderfest or something to visit with you. <laughs> and I come home and my lovely sweetheart, Linda, has put all three or four of the famous monsters posters I've got from uh, uh, the famous monsters convention in Crystal City in, in 93. Uh, which one of them is the 75 poster and the other one is like the 74 poster or something. Another one's a cover of FM and another one's a presenter cover of Creepy in our living room, framed. So I walk in and I'm like, oh my God, I love this woman. But the sep- the early uh, convention poster for famous the famous Monsters convention is uh, basically images of Damien Thomas and the two girls, the Collins and twins from Twins of Evil. You know, it's, you, okay. you know the artwork I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. And so every day I walk through there and I look at that. I see that picture of Damien Thomas with his colossal fangs. And I just go, ah, I feel better about the world. <laughs> He's a damn good vampire. Yes, He's yes. the vampire I would be. I would not be Christopher Lee. I would not be uh, 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 David Peel from Brides of Dracula. I would be a pig. I'd be a pig vampire <laughs> like Damian Thomas. And it's like, eh, <laughs> you think you're going to do something to me? You're not going to do a god damn thing. <laughs> I've got women. I've got booze i've got uh, debauchery i've got whatever i want to well and he's and, he, and he's got his is is lackey uh dietrich played by dennis price who who's like trying to find anything and everything to keep him amused including a fake black mass ceremony which which he instantly calls out and he's got uh, uh, uh is it joaquin or his 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 man Joaqu- oh, joaquin yeah joaquin the guy is, uh, yeah, I love this guy. He was in, uh, I know he was in one of my favorite episodes of the Patrick Trout and Doctor Who, uh, uh, Tomb of the Cybermen and stuff. But okay. uh, that guy sort of, uh, sort of is his is protector. And so when Peter Cushing goes to shoot Damian Thomas, Joaquin like stands in in between them, like he's gonna, he's a dedicated servant. But I love Damian Thomas. He has got the... I'm going to speak as an artist, not as a filmmaker. He's got an angularity, the voice, the presence, and all that kind of stuff. He is all about debauchery. He is all about this gluttony of a vampire, a, a person. But he's not even a vampire yet at the beginning of the film. He's prepped. He's ready. To, he's, he's on deck. <laughs> yeah, really. It's like it's like okay. Well, you're gonna. Uh, th- there's a. Uh, oh shit! I'm screwing up on the words. What is it uh, when you go for a job? What do you call it? Interviewing. An interview. He's ready to interview for the job of vampire. And so I'm sort <laughs> of like, but I love the way he looks. I love the way he sounds. Uh, it's all about lust and passion and taking stuff. Um, 
you know, uh, I think I think he does. Well, I, I, job. I think that- he's he's one of the people in, in fandom in with conventions stuff. I wish I could meet him. I would shake his hand and go, "You did one of the best vampires ever." In my opinion, oh, he's 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 fantastic. And there's this uh, for a long time. I thought that he was the uh, the same guy who played uh, the vampire in the opening sequence of Vampire Circus. But it's a different guy. But they have a very similar physical look. Yeah, that guy is from uh, that guy's from uh, a Clockwork Orange. You talk about the guy yeah. and any any re- resurrects at the end. That guy's really good too. I mean, th- this is that wicked. A 70s vampire. This is no longer uh, Christopher Lee or David Peel or whoever. These are those those like almost like effed up hippie vampires or or later like the things that scared our our parents in the late 60s when when people were listening to acid rock and now they've <laughs> come to pass but now they have fangs. And I, I just look at them and just go, wow, you guys are, you're it. You guys do a great job, including the, the, the lead. I don't remember the name of the actor from Vampire Circus, but he does a great job, too. It's this young, virile sort of. Yeah, and, th- and that's that's the word I was aiming for, too. They're, they're, both, they're both these lean, angular men who are very, they're, they're very uh, energetic and they're yeah. very forceful and they're virile. You sense the power crackling off of them. And it's not just the arrogance of their... Uh, a big part of it is the arrogance of the fact that they're aristocracy and, and they know that nobody can touch them without paying the most hideous price imaginable. But there's also just something to their their line deliveries where it just feels powerful. It feels as if these are people who are so self-possessed that they know, they know that they've got you by the short and curlies. There's nothing you can do about it yeah and they're also um sexy they're they're very yes they're yeah. very sexipated uh i think that uh um, hammer had something and god it makes me sad because i wish hammer had continued where would they have gone i know that things like the exorcist and stuff threw a threw a wrench into the machinery for them i mean but still yeah. you could have continued to go and I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I see, I see The Exorcist, and I see a great and damn near perfect movie. I see other films from that time period when Hollywood got involved, but it didn't mean that Hammer needed to go away. I think that there was room there, but I don't know. It somehow, I think it's. I think you're right. It didn't need to go away. And there were people who didn't want it to go away. And it was really interesting, like I say, listening, uh, listening, <laughs> reading these different interviews with uh, this film's director and, and how he, he really did think that there was a future for Hammer. But um, a lot of other people didn't feel that way. I, I, and I think that in general, the public may have, there may not have been as much of a public there for them as we might wish there was. Um but that's a, I think that's a may- sort of a prejudice, though. I mean, if you've got somebody that goes, okay, in the 50s and then all the way through the 60s, you were the uh, the costume drama horror film people, and yeah. now you're moving into the 70s, it's like, okay, they're a little bit, I've got to say this, there's a little bit of that uh, 
we're fixing to have a scene with some nudity and here comes the bare breast. Oh my God. You know, okay, I got that. But now yeah. it's time to move beyond that and say, we, we got that. That's already established. So let's quit making that the focal point. Let's start grabbing stories where the stories are so good. And then if there's a bare ass, there's a bare breast, there's some violence, there's this, that, or the other, that's fine. Well, I think that Hammerhead kind of started doing that in a way. I mean, I, the last two Cushing Lee Dracula pictures they made are right. actually quite good. Uh, oh, the, I love them. I love them. Yeah, films. and, and yes, the thing sure. is is that they, they brought the characters into the set, into modern day, into the 1970s. And that and they, they worked just fine. As a matter of fact, I think that um, having now been able to... I mean, now that Satanic Rites of Dracula, a movie that I'd always thought poorly of until it came out on Blu-ray, having now seen it on Blu-ray, I realize how, how good a movie it is. Huh. But it's one of those things where even there, uh, w- with Dracula AD 72, what you have is them starting off the prelude to the film, the first sequence of it takes place in uh, you know a gothic setting, and then we move into modern day. And yeah. they lean heavily into that in AD 72. Whereas with uh, Satanic Rites of Dracula, they, it's, a, it's a direct sequel, and they definitely are setting it just in the early 70s. That's the whole point of it. That's the story. But at the same time, it's also as if they didn't trust the horror elements, the vampire elements, to to completely carry a film in a modern day. So it's almost partially a pseudo-James Bond or police procedural story as well. And so I think that you can either see that. I see it as a strength that they, that they were able to combine uh, those kinds of elements into a Dracula film with you know, Cushing and Lee. But I don't know that necessarily Hammer, the the powers that be, you know, deciding what film they should, you know, put some money behind. I don't know that they may have seen that as a strength at the time or as a sign that they were having to so much alter their formula or their 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 generalized way of coming up with storylines that perhaps they felt so out of touch that I think that's one of the reasons why they were they were they were gambling a lot in the in the early 70s they were throwing a lot of different things at the wall and seeing what stuck and I think that at the time a lot of them didn't stick in other words they didn't well, they weren't the giant hits that they were hoping for they're, even they're, though when we look back at them now we absolutely love them it's not something that, that they were not the huge money makers that they were you know 10 years previous they you know they were producing well i mean here here's the person who couldn't deal with the fact that the last dracula movie was more akin to a James Bond film, and that was Christopher Lee. He couldn't. He he had just done yeah. Man with the Golden Gun, and he was not ecstatic about the fact that basically Dracula was fixing to put a plague upon the world, a pestilence, a chemical pestilence, and it was sort of like, okay, so I'm just doing a James Bond film, but now I'm Dracula. So I think that was kind of the. I think in some ways, he he hate to put it this way, but he put a stake in it. Um, yeah. I, you know, um, I like the last film. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan, as you know, for me doing the cover for Little Shop of Horrors of Dracula 80, 1972. I love that movie. And I know it's off by about three or four years of swinging London. That's what a lot of people are confused about. It's like it's 72. 
swinging yeah. London was 69, 68, 67, but still, I give it a little bit of a break. You know, it's like, it's short, but um, I think that um, Hammer could still have pulled out of the nosedive. Uh, Twins of Evil is one of those that was good. And I think they could have continued to go and go and go. I think they could have, you know, like pulled the airplane up and just, you know, pointed it toward the stratosphere, but they didn't. And I think we're, we're at a loss for it. But the main people, the Terrence Fishers and the, and the, uh, the Freddie Francis's and stuff like that were kind of away at that point. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, well, I mean, you no longer had. I mean, you know, you know, you didn't have Jimmy Sangster around anymore, and you, and you didn't have the entire production house. I mean, once you know, once they they moved out of Bray, once that studio was no longer yeah. their home base, yeah, everything changed. Yeah, and you don't, you don't, you don't have that family feeling. You don't have that group of people who are working on one film at a time and then moving on to the next film, and, and it's this big unit that's constantly working together. Once that was done. Hammer really kind of was over. Uh, that's what you hear a lot of in, in interviews with a lot of the people who worked on those movies is that once that that studio was sold, once they were no longer there in that place where everybody came and everybody did, worked together and everybody you know, kind of pulled everything in the same direction, once that was gone, it was you know it was not the same. It, it, it was it, it became very very different and it became something that slowly deteriorated away from that and not that good films weren't made but yeah. those relationships started to go and I think it's those I think it's those deteriorating relationships and the the fact that everybody wasn't you know for more than 10 years there was a core group of people behind the scenes that did you know that worked on every single movie so um, out of the later films that they did what are your two or three favorite? Uh, are you talking just in the 1970s? I'm talking about 1970s Rodney Prime porno <laughs> violence. You know the things that you love. Just, just, just lay it on me, pal. So you're you're talking okay. So the Hammer films produced in the 70s. That's, That's a tough one. I like so many of them. Uh, I, I'll say this: um, it's very hard for me to like order them as you know. This is my favorite, favorite, and this is my next favorite, and this is my third favorite. But what I'll do is I'll name, uh, I'll name, I'll name five that I think are exceptional. Uh, I think Frankenstein of the Monster from Hell is incredible. Yeah, I absolutely love uh, this movie, Twins of Evil. I absolutely love uh, Vampire Circus. Uh, I think that uh, those are those are three fantastic movies, and I love them to death. Uh, I I also, and I know that a lot of people cock their head and sneer at me when I say this. I absolutely love the full length version of uh, the uh, uh, the Seven Golden Vampires. I'm sorry, but I enjoy the shit out of that film. <laughs> That would be you as well, I say. No, I mean, you know what? You know what's funny is that I actually like the movie. Um, I'm just laughing. I love because it. Because you're like, you know, okay, the Sistine Chapel, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but I'm not. I, would, I, I wouldn't quite go that far, no. No, but. And if uh, I'm going to round out a five, uh, it would definitely be Captain Kronos. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I, I sort of. Um, 
there's that later hammer, and I'm not sure when it actually starts. I absolutely love, and I don't mean love. I mean like love, like I'd cut your throat. Kind of a thing. <laughs> I love it so much. And this is still this is still sort of early late early late. Does that make any sense? Hammer. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. I love that. Yeah. I love that movie. I love, no, no. Martine Beswick, I mean, I, I, I think that in Thunderball and, and, uh, you know, some of the other films, uh, the, the, the Raquel Welch dinosaur film, there's those films and you're sort of looking at it and she's like, yeah, yeah. But in Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, and I got to tell, tell her to her face recently because I had done a pen and ink of her about 30 years ago. Some guy bought it and then took it to her at a convention I was at recently and then got her to sign it. And she came and she goes, who the hell did that artwork? And the guy goes, oh, the guy's in the next room. So I got to talk to her and she was very sweet. But I said, you struck an incredible balance between beautiful and evil it was like the best balance yeah, yeah. i had ever seen she was tremendous it was like my favorite role of hers ever even though my favorite james bond film is thunderball which she is also in so um you when you when when it's personal you know what i'm saying so uh Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde is what, 71, 72, something like that. It still was rated PG. Wait, wait a minute, which one? Doc, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde was 71, yeah. Okay, 71. Even though I guess some places in the world it had nudity, you know, she, 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 she took her clothes off briefly. But when you get to the hard R, or I guess what they call the hard R, there were some real jewels in there. Uh, Hands of the Ripper. The one we're talking very about. Very good. Yeah, we're talking yeah. about tonight, the the uh, Twins of Evil. And there's a few others. There's a few that are okay. I'm not enamored with uh, uh, Countess Dracula. I don't know what your, your feelings are on it. I mean, it's, I, it's, it's okay. It's not a great movie, but it's not bad. It's not bad. There's, there's worse things you can do with your evening watching a film. But yeah. Um, yeah. I think this film that we're talking about is a very straightforward narrative. I think it it, it, it it brings me anger, like I said before, with Peter Cushing and his dudes going around just, it's like they got a giant scythe and they're just, you know, just swinging it back and forth and they don't give a shit who they, who they hit, you know? Um, well, as long as it's, as long as it's a woman, which is what I would point out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point is that, somebody's trying to tell you something it's like there's deep uh there's a deep issue here and then yeah. near the end of the film they actually kind of would you say they become good guys i don't know i mean i still would like to hang them later it's like okay thanks. Well, i think i think gustav completes his arc he has started to have all those doubts and he has started to wonder openly if they're they're making mistakes and it's uh, the and it's his conversation that amazing scene between him and uh, um, his wife. Well, his wife, yes, where she confronts him 
very strongly about this, where she really hammers home to him some doubts that he's probably had but never given voice to. And then it's followed up by that scene with uh, David Warbeck, where Warbeck really lays out his worldview and his way of viewing this stuff and his objections and his reasons. What's better is even his reasons for his objections. Yeah. And that just adds, I mean, it's as if the wife put a wedge into his head and Warbeck's character has just hit it two or three times with a hammer and his mind just splits wide open and he's seeing himself in a completely different way. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's what redeems the character as the movie goes on. It's why you can feel uh, a sense of uh, a sense of uh, catharsis when he beheads one of the twins. But I, I still feel he doesn't get redeemed. That's not, to, not complete, not completely, no, not completely. But, but but he he still has to answer for beautiful, vital, alive human beings that he killed. That he killed for, it, for no is, damn reason. The thing is, I think that by the end of the movie, he is a man who actually does feel that he's going to have to deal with the guilt of that. His now re, his realization that he was wrong. Uh, yes, I think that, that I think that's pretty that's pretty strongly strongly put forth, and I think that's pretty impressive because, like I say, his his character has an arc in this, and that's not something you can say about. You know, von Helsing or 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 Count Frankenstein. I mean, or, or you know, Doctor Frankenstein. Either one. I mean, it's just it's, it's not it's not a character. They're they're bastards at the beginning. They're the character that they're going to be throughout the film, whether they're you know one shade of bastard or the other, and that's the way they're going to be at the end of the picture. So yeah, I mean, I think that it's a beginning. And what's weird is that Hammer has the ability to steal it from us by saying, "Nah, he's going to die." He'll never get to the point where he goes, I, I want to atone for my sins. He ends up getting killed by the vampire, you know, yeah. by, by Damian Thomas. Um, that's a great scene. I love Well, this is a movie that's got a lot of great scenes like that, I, t- I think, as well. Well. But that's, that's an impressive. This is kind of a precursor. I mean, they did it. And I think later Ken Russell kind of ran along with it. Ken, Ken Russell made one of my favorite movies of all time Lair of the White Worm and yeah. and uh, in in that they have those fangs from uh, Twins of Evil those super long fangs where uh, I remember being with a buddy of mine in the theater we were at an art house and we were watching some film I don't remember what it was and then all of a sudden he goes, uh, Ken Russell presents Lair of the White Worm. And I'm like, and it shows the fangs and it shows the, the snake. And, I'll go, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is some effed up version of, of the reptile. I've got to see this movie. <laughs> and, I, and I finally saw it like a couple of months later. It came to the theater. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. But the kind of fangs they were showing in Hammer Films it's like I, God knows, God knows, I love Brides of Dracula, and on Andre Mealy, the fangs look great, but on David Peel, he's like, he got some fangs. Well, he looked too large for his mouth. No, 
it just they were just weird. They were goofy. They stuck off to the side. Andre Mealy, I love her. She is my single favorite female vampire ever. And she sort of got that rabid poodle sort of look, you know, when she's You're talking about the woman who played his mother, right? No, no. Andre Mealy is the is the very famous uh, 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 girl in the in the in the girls school. And that uh, uh, Dave Appeal bites her, and oh, then she's in the coffin, yeah. and, and then she goes, oh, tell me that you don't mind me uh, letting him love me. And she's got that, that <laughs> wild, rabid stare. She's awesome. She is perfect. I, I mean, uh, and then, uh, you know, you look at that, but the... But in this film, I love the extra long, almost serpent, serpent sort of fangs. And, yeah. and, and, and that's in this film. And then, of course, in Ken Russell's uh, Lair of the White Worm, I swear to God, it's an homage to the reptile. But so the people are like, yeah, you're full of crap. But I think I think I'm right. No, I mean, that that's the only other movie that I know of with that particular look and makeup. So that's yeah. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. But uh, but this movie has has so many things going for it. It's kitschy. It's a little. Uh, it's um, got. It's a little sexapated. Um, it's um, uh, there, there, there's a lot going for this film. I mean, well, it's got it, a strong script. I mean, I think that's one of the best things about this is that uh, this is this is possibly the best of the three scripts for these films as well. Right. Um, and because I think that um, Tudor Gates has joked that uh, before he, you know, they, they were talking about the third one and he was just presented with the idea uh, by possibly Michael Carreras. What, if, what, what about, uh, what about twins? What about twins? What about vampire twins? And so Gates is like holding his head going, well, okay, let me, let me think. <laughs> wow. And the thing is, I think that, so he comes up with this story, and I think that it's a very strong script. The The story is, okay, uh, two twins, one goes bad, becomes a vampire, the other uh, doesn't, and uh, there's some, you know, there's that allows us some, some uh, plot complications that involve mistaking one for the other, and it, uh, and we, we, we put, uh, we put them as orphans, they're uh, in, a, in a town that they're not familiar with, and, uh, da, 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 you know, essentially, it's, it's, it's a basic idea, but the way he fills it out is brilliant, because as we've probably already made clear, uh, the, it's the characters and the dialogue in this movie that make you give a shit about what's going on. It's really well written. So therefore it is a good script. The plot is, as you said earlier, the plot's nothing, you know, nothing particularly fantastic. It's a standard Gothic horror plot to a large degree, you know, add or or subtract a supernatural element and you've got your film. And, but the thing is that it's the dialogue and the characters that really make this thing work. And it, it works wonderfully. And, uh, you know, there's some, some, some good actors who are in, in different spots in the movie who really do their jobs effectively. This is, uh, that's why this is, you know, in, invariably, if you talk about your favorite 70s uh, Hammer films, this one's going to end up on my list. So. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's talk about the scene that I have to sort of make fun of. Joaquim, okay. Joaquim, Joaquim, Joaquim. I think the, it's I think it's Joaquin. Yeah, Joaquin, the manservant. Uh, I I love the actor. Like I said before, he was on Doctor Who, Tomb of the Cybermen. I love that 
that particular episode. And he was also in Live and Let Die. He played Coral's son from Dr. No. Oh, okay. So there's a scene. He, he is mute. So he runs into the room, and Dave Thomas, the vampire, with the one evil twin who has also been turned into a vampire, and he goes, uh, what is it, Joaquin? And Joaquin goes, oh, they've got crucifixes, and he makes a crucifix sign. It's like, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Got, he doesn't speak. He's mute, so yeah, he's, he's, he's mute. signing all and this. And then yeah. he goes, and they've got stakes, and, and they've got this or whatever, and it's like, uh, I was just sort of like, <laughs> and, and they got all the stakes and the crucifixes and stuff on sale at uh, Target. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was just sort of like, it was just the way that he said it. I was almost like it was like a setup for a Mel Brooks sort of a moment. Where it's yeah, like, I oh, what mean, yeah. they've got the stakes and they've got the, the knives and they've got the guns and they've got the, oh my God, they bought everything out of the store. <laughs> So anyway, but that was it. It was the yeah, that's, one that's, moment that's in the Roy film. Stewart. Yeah. It was the one moment of the film I was watching and going, okay, this can go silly. Or it is going silly if for somebody who is cynical or has a sense of humor or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, I mean, uh, other than that, and, and I just sort of, I mean, there's a lot of things about this. Now let's talk very briefly about the uh, – the girl who is Carmilla. She's not in the film very long. Or Mir- 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 Mircala in this one. Yeah. Oh, it's Mircala in this one? Okay, so yeah. it's the yeah. other way. Okay. So uh, she shows up after Damien Thomas stabs uh, a girl who was supposed to be there for some pseudo, uh, uh, you know, pseudo ceremony. So a fake, the, the, fake, the, yeah, fake black mass. Yeah. Like fake black mass. And he stabs her. But what he does not realize is the fates of habit lined up where she gets stabbed and her blood pours down through the uh, obelisk that she is on, which is basically a basically a tomb. And the blood runs in to the shroud where Mercala is there and the girl wakes up. Uh, reforms or whatever and then comes to Damien Thomas and then converts him into a vampire now one of the things I like about this is that it does something that in Brides of Dracula they hint at I'm going to tell you something Was somebody was paying attention to Brides of Dracula when they did this film because um, in the original story in Brides of Dracula the mom says that her son was like uh, you know, not the best guy in the world, and she promoted it. And there were people would come to the to the castle, and they'd do all this debauchery and evil crap and all that kind of stuff. Until some, at some point in time, the wrong person showed up, which was basically, I'm assuming, a vampire. This seems like the same thing happened, but they kind of spelled it out in this film, like like Damian Thomas was already an asshole. Uh, 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 a guy who liked his debauchery and everything else until he finally met the ultimate of that type. And when he stabbed the girl and the blood drained down into the, the, the tomb, basically on the altar that he, uh, you know, was, uh, 
was was standing in front of and this beautiful blonde lady comes out and seduces him and all that. and then next thing, next thing you know the fangs are out and now Damian Thomas is 100% initiated um i think i find that interesting that's always been sort of a a fascinating thing it's like you're already a creep let's go 100% you know, let's do the whole. Yeah, you st- you start off with a character who's already an arrogant, decadent bastard, and then we ramp up from there. Yeah, and Damian Thomas has no problem. And from the beginning of the film, it's like I remember when I watched this film. Some sometimes I'm kind of like, oh, he's already a vampire, and he just doesn't give a shit. And it's like, oh no, wait, he's not a vampire yet. He's going to become a vampire, and he's going to become an even bigger dick. You know, and he does. You know, so. <laughs> But yeah, well, well, before we uh, before we wrap up a discussion of this, I do want to point out that um, I do think that there are at least two scenes that got left on the cutting room floor for this that I've never heard anybody talk about in detail. And I think that they're pretty obvious because the the film's dialogue makes reference to them and they're just not there. And it's kind of weird when uh, the uh, the evil twin comes back from uh, either her first or second night out uh, when she shouldn't be out late at night, um, her, her the good twin actually uh, tells her, "Look, I had to pretend to be you uh, to right. Uncle to Uncle Gustav." Right. And and it's like, oh well, we didn't get that scene. We didn't get to see that scene. Uh, that that's you know that got trimmed out for for length or because it didn't necessarily need to be in the film or for whatever reason. But to so heavily reference that and it be something that would be interesting to see. It always stands out every time I watch the film. It's like, oh well, it's a shame they didn't include that, or that we don't have a chance to see that as like a. You you just want to see the semi-naked chick getting beat by Peter Cushing. Well, well, of course, but <laughs> I don't know that she necessarily gets beaten in her in the film or not. You well, the other, but the but the other thing is that the other the other scene that is very clearly uh, missing is that uh, by the time. Um, uh, the Anton character played by uh, David Warbeck and Cushing are having a conversation uh, later in the film. In the film that we're watching, in the film that we, that's always existed, this is the first time they have a scene together. But they're speaking very clearly and intimating that they have spoken about his affections, the, the younger man's affections for one of his his uh, nieces, and he has expressed his uh, his. Uh, distaste for this particular uh, young boy's affections. Uh, and, and it's very clear because they're referencing the fact that they've had a conversation about it. And it's like, oh, well, that, that scene's not in this movie either. Uh, and, it, and it always plays out strange to me that it's like, oh, well, that's a that's a shame to not have that scene in the movie. That's In other words, it's another one of those things where it's like, oh, it's, that's a shame. I wouldn't mind seeing that scene because these two guys are really good and I'd like to see well, how, that, how that sequence played out. But, uh, and, you know, my, minor minor complaints. Uh, no no film is perfect, as you constantly say, and it's and it's one of those things where I'm just like, oh man, I really I would like it. I wish in some way that uh, those two scenes uh, existed in some form so that we could at least see what they look like. Well, I mean, the scene is that Peter Cushing walks in and said that you sent a letter to the to the church heads about what right. we're doing. I don't know. I mean, would there necessarily be a scene? I mean, they've never talked. They didn't talk about the fact that he liked the one daughter. 
I don't know. I mean, maybe. I don't know. He he. Uh, uh, Cushing's character specifically references the fact that they've already had words about him paying attention to one of his nieces. I remember that with Damian Thomas. I don't really. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, it hits, it hits me. It hits me that way. It hits me that way every time I watch the watch the film, where I'm just like, oh man. So there was a there was a previous scene where the two of these where these two guys, you know, spoke. And perhaps things got very heated, and I'm and and the way it the way I imagine it playing out is uh, the younger man coming to uh, perhaps escort the the young girl or to to see her or visit her or whatever, and uh, Gustav showing up and uh, expressing displeasure, and the younger man getting more and more heated and angry at his him being attacked and. And, and then, you know, bringing up, well, you know, I'll, what I also don't like, besides your attitude towards your niece, is I also don't like that you run around killing women in the night either. So Yeah. <laughs> just... yeah. yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, um, God, what was the other scene that, that connected to that that I always had a problem with? That, it's, hard, it's hard to remember. Um, the connective glue of making a film and then editing it and deciding what throwing yeah. what what you throw out. I mean, sometimes, and I'm not saying you're doing this at all, but sometimes people invent scenes. It's like we need this or whatever, and it's like you know, um, maybe so. Um, I I find the story to work pretty well. I don't know if there's anything in it that I felt needed to be added. Um, I don't know. I mean, you might be right. I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think the film is uh, you know harmed by the lack of those scenes, but the fact that they're being so heavily referenced within the movie, yeah, it's like oh you know they clearly that was you know either that was on the page or it even got shot, and it's and it and it's a it's kind of a shame because you can almost you know once you've seen the movie maybe not the first couple of times you see the movie but once you've seen it a couple of times and you're kind of absorbing the the flow of the story it's like okay well I'm honestly yeah that's a piece that would have bridged you know their uh you know would have would have we'd have seen these characters interact before this scene right and uh, that might that might have felt more naturalistic in a, in a way not that like i say it doesn't make me dislike the film at all i i absolutely love this film right uh, one other thing one other thing i'd like to bring up is i love the score oh which which was uh borrowed the opening music was borrowed by a war at least listened to by uh bruce tim and then used on the uh justice league cartoon oh wow really you, are they are they that similar okay okay do me a favor watch the opening to the film and then yeah. and then call up an episode of the justice league you know, you know what you know the show I'm talking about, right? Yeah, the animated Justice League. Well, there were there was Justice League and there was Justice League uh, Unlimited. No, so, yeah. just do Justice League. Okay, it is so similar. Even as a, even younger, I was like, oh my god, that reminds me of Twins of Evil. But Bruce Tim is a huge Hammer fan, so <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. I think even he admitted he's like, you know, okay, I love the the I love Twins of Evil. And then I, you know, played it for whoever did the music for the show. But it's like, holy shit, it's <laughs> it's very similar. I mean, you're going to be stunned. 
I'm, I'm telling well, that's you, cool. Rodney, I'm telling you, you're going to be like, holy crap, it's almost, it's almost an infringement thing here, but, but not quite. Take uh, you know, Twins of Evil sort of like, and you're sort of like, oh, it almost sounds like happy, like wild girls are being run over that are semi naked. Okay, that's great, but uh, but it's the same. Well, I, I, I think I think it's wild that the, the guy who did this, Harry Robertson, um, who he was often credited as Harry Robinson for some reason, right? Uh, but he, he did he did the scores for Vampire Lovers, Countess Dracula, Lust for a Vampire. And Twins of Evil, and it's one of those things where you're just like, wow. I mean, now I wish I could listen to those scores. You know, really, I need to listen to them close to each other so that I can see if he was just like, okay, so this I know sounds like a vampire. So let me just do this thing again. Well, I'll tell you what. Just listen to the opening of Justice League, and you're gonna you're gonna send me a check. You're gonna be like, holy, <laughs> holy crap! No, <laughs> send but you a uh, check. no, but. Yeah, I mean, so ultimately, I'm going to say this about this film. I really like it. I think it's an R-rated early 70s pre... It might not even be pre-Exorcist. I don't even remember when that came out. It is. Exorcist was 73. This came out in 71. Okay. So we're talking about that still pre-Exorcist sort of R-rated sort of vibe that I really love. I mean, I like I like what this film was doing. The Exorcist is a masterpiece. It's almost like a Picasso or a or a, a, a Michelangelo or whatever you want to call it. But this and it is, changed everything after after yes, that. Yes, every, everything changed. else is like we're going to amp this up. But this movie is a solid, beautiful little gem. Um, it's got its own quirks and 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 thing. It is a product of its time. It is not the '60s. It is not 1973. There's a there's this weird little window of R-rated, high quality horror films. Uh, didn't have didn't have a lot of money, but there is still something about this film that I find to be very. Uh, alluring. I find it to be passionate. I find it to be sexy. I find it to be uh, a little disturbing. There's things about it. I mean, we, we talked about that earlier. I find that there are things about this that make me angry. Uh, I think that there there's there's um, when you look at uh, some of the the uh, the people in the film, you get mad about what their goals are, and that's okay. I mean, you know, you're allowed to. But 
it really is one of Hammer's great later films. I mean, I, w- I would recommend it to people. I really would. But you got. Well, I full I fully agree. I think it is one of the best of the last batch of uh, you know the, the the best of the end of the Hammer era. Yes. And I think that uh, that it stands up very effectively. I think that uh, if if a lot of horror films tend to be uh, a version of a morality play to one degree or another one, uh, this one it really works in that way without being saccharine or silly or ridiculous. It uh, it's told it's a it's a it's a good story told well and it's told straight. No one's winking at the camera. No one's doing anything other than playing this as if it were high art. This is a well produced, well done, well acted, solid film. Period, and a Hammer horror film also. Right, I agree completely. On a one to ten scale, I always end up giving this one an eight. Yeah, I mean for Hammer. Late Hammer, yes, an eight. I, I think it, 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 if it isn't their best from the later years, it's very, very close. Um, yeah, eight. Hammer eight. Hammer eight. Is that, is that different from a universal eight? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, we're not talking about a, a company that had Hollywood behind them. I mean, we're still talking about a little company that, you know, was... But I find it to be, uh, you know, a really good film. I mean, I, I, I love it. Um, uh, I find it to be, I, you know, can't use words like charming because when, when you're trying to masturbate. But, uh, but, I, <laughs> but I find it to be uh, edgy enough to say, you know, this is a product of the time period, the early 70s. Like I said before to you, we're talking about worn magazines in the United States. We're talking about... You know, these kind of paperbacks and these kind of stories and these kind of uh, television shows and movies at the theater and everything else with the R-rated was new at the time. And I'm like, you know what? This is actually a pretty goddamn good entry. Um, It's funny because the window seems to be so small. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like all of a sudden Hollywood a few years later would go for this big gigantic Already, I mean, we the Exorcist and Alien and and the Omen and all that kind of stuff, and it, that was a different ball game. That was something Hammer couldn't compete with. But for what they had, this is a beautiful entry. I love it. I agree. Well, uh, before we go, uh, have you been uh, working on anything interesting that you can uh, tell us about? Anything that uh, you can uh, speak publicly about, Mister Maddox? I've got stuff I'm working on. The answer is no. Ah, darn it. I love you. I love you, Rodney, but no. (laughs) No, you know, the the thing is that (laughs) makes me sad is that that you sort of get these jobs and you're like, I want to shout it to the rooftops. But sort of like, no, because if you do, you're going to defeat the purpose. So I think there's nice things coming down the pike. So... Well, I, I've got I'm, I've got the same problem. There's a there's a couple of projects that uh, I've completed that that have been completed for months, as a matter of fact, and uh, I can't I, I can't publicly say anything about them um, uh, yet. And their their releases, of course, have gotten completely fucked up by the uh, the whole the whole COVID nineteen disaster. Yeah. And so it's like it's it's making me have to keep my mouth shut even longer than I would normally have to keep my mouth shut about some of these things. And it's just one of those things where you're just like, ah, I can be patient. I can wait. I can wait to start talking about how 
this is so exciting and this is so cool. But it's one of those things. Is it's one of those things where it's just like ah shit. It's like I, I kind of wondered about, especially uh, magazine covers. I mean, there for you know at least two months, magazine production had to kind of go on pause. No, so no, 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 no. I mean, at this point right now. There's no magazines. There's a few other projects I've got going on, but uh, okay, because things aren't going to Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. Yeah, it's sort of like, okay, I'm not even talking about that. And uh, you know, we're we're in a weird world. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons that lately I've done a lot of podcasts and visits with people on Zoom, and I've, I've done a television show on Zoom, and. I think yeah. this week I've got a podcast with guys from Britain, but we're in a we're in a weird world right now. I mean, I think it's going to be one of those. I, I mean, we're not talking about World War Two or anything like that, <laughs> but I, no. I do think that this needs to to have historians take a look at it and then write it out so that two, three, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty years down the road we can sort of look at it and sort, sort of analyze it in, in an overview. I think that what's going on is um, the world is... Well, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a bizarre pause. It's a bizarre gap in what could be released to the, to the world creatively. It's very strange. Yeah, and, and you've got to know this. I mean, and I'll say this, and I'd like to keep this, make sure this makes it into the episode. But you and I usually visit each other at Wonderfest, and that includes people like uh, Tim Lucas, uh, Donna Lucas, um, uh, you know the Herzogs, uh, 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 you know uh, Frank Dietz. Frank, I mean, who, Dietz, who, who, yeah, all, all these people, uh, like James Lechner. Uh, there are so many people. Uh, Ted Haycraft. Or Ted, Ted and I actually talk on the phone quite a bit lately. And, and there's, there's a thing where part of me feels like it's been ripped away a little bit, like pulled away and you're, and you're missing your friends. And I I count you definitely 100% among them. I miss physically just jibba jabba, jibba jabba back and forth in, 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 in our get togethers. Um, This is good. This at least keeps me from you know, losing my mind from throwing a rope up over the rafters and finding a, <laughs> finding a small stool, but it's not the same thing. Human beings need to see and interact with each other. And I miss Wonderfest, which I, I, I really had a hard time last week with everybody, Donya uh, Linham and everybody um, uh, posting photographs and Tim and everybody yeah. else. And you're sort of like, damn, we are really missing something that matters to us, where our friends and has ma- and has mattered for a very long time too. Yeah. Well, for me, it's been this would have been the tenth year that I would have gone to Wonderfest. I went. Anthony Taylor told me he's like, "You got to go to this thing," and I'm like, "A model kit convention? What are you talking about?" And when I went, I swore to God I would never ever miss another one of these and here we are this year being forced to yeah and I, all of us and i hate it i absolutely hate it I, I was depressed last week when people were posting photographs from previous years but i miss my friends i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys i'm looking forward to for the downturn 
of the coronavirus. I'm hoping that, you know, by... I'm just hoping we, we, I'm hoping that, you know, next summer we, we get to finally get back to what we wanted to be doing this summer, essentially. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. So, yeah. Anyway. Mark, Mark, thank you once again for coming on the show, bud. I appreciate it, man. I, I do. I want, <laughs> I want to do an episode with Rodney once a month from now on. Oh, my Lord. I don't know <laughs> if either of us can survive that. Are you being serious? <laughs> I think that we would end up uh, we would end up sending sending ricin through the mail to each other just to make sure the other one died. Ricin? What's that? Oh, ricin. It's, uh, it's, it's a poison, man. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think like that. So when when we're in court and I've died, you'll know who to. If blame. you open the mail and ke- if you open the mail know. and I'm, over. I'm just thinking. I th- I'm just thinking right now. Things seem to be going good in terms of our episodes. I think we ought to go ahead and do. Well, I, I, you know, we'll talk about it. All right. Well, uh, we will talk to you again next time. Thanks again for coming on the show. Bye. I appreciate it. All right. You take care. Bye.